Paul Yates and the dedication of those three families. And Father, this morning we do pray for the Mondestin family, for the Hesse family, and for the Bryant family as they stood today in a commitment to you, Lord, to do their very best. And Lord, we know it is difficult to be a parent, but we thank you, Father, that they have your supply of strength to guide them, to assist them in that awesome endeavor. As the Scriptures say, children are a heritage of the Lord, and we thank you for that promise today. Father, we are opening up one of the most victorious stories in all the world, the greatest event in human history. And I pray, Lord, as we open the Scriptures and read of your victory over death, Lord, that it would encourage the downtrodden, that it would bring life to the dead. Lord, that it would bring light to those who are in darkness today and victory to those who are walking in defeat. We thank you for the price you paid and for the victory that you offer to us. In Jesus' name, amen. We are in Luke 24 this morning. I texted a friend of mine and told him I'm preaching on the road to Emmaus. And he said, why don't you preach at the church? At this point in Luke 24, verse 13, Jesus um, has already been tried. Uh, Jesus has already been crucified. And Jesus has already laid in the tomb the appointed days. And now comes a story of two men who are walking in despair. They're walking in discouragement. They're walking in a feeling and a sense of defeat. And they run into Jesus not knowing it's Him. And this morning, this is the last sermon in this part, in this series that we've called The Great Exchange. We have seen how Jesus took the place of Bartimaeus, a, a criminal for a righteous man. We saw last week that Jesus took, takes our sin and gives us His righteousness. We exchange our sin for His righteousness. And this morning we see so clearly in this story how Jesus exchanges despair and gives joy. He takes their despair and gives them joy. Follow me in verse 13. Now behold, two of them were traveling that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was seven miles from Jerusalem. And they talked together of all these things which had happened. And so it was, while they conversed and reasoned, that Jesus Himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were restrained, so that they did not know Him. And he said to them, what kind of conversation is this that you have with one another as you walk and are sad? Then the one whose name was Cleopas answered and said to him, Are you the only stranger in Jerusalem? And have you not known the things which have happened there in these days? And he said to them, What things? So they said to him, The things concerning Jesus of Nazareth who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our own rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and crucified him. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all this, today is the third day since these things happened. 
Yes, and certain women of our company who arrived at the tomb early astonished us when they did not find his body. They came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. And certain of those who were brought with us to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. Then he said to them, O foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not the Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded to them in all things, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. Notice carefully verse 28. Then they drew near to the village where they were going, and he indicated that he would have gone farther. But they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is far spent. And he went in to stay with them. Now it came to pass, as he sat at the table with them, that he took bread, blessed, and broke it, and gave it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished from their sight. And they said to one another, Did our heart not burn within us? while he talked with us on the road, and while he opened the Scriptures to us. So they arose that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven and those that were gathered there with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed, and has appeared to Simon. And they told about the things that had happened on the road and how he was known to them in the breaking of bread. What an awesome story. I love stories where you have someone in despair, someone in sorrow, someone in grief, and then enters Jesus and everything changes. Isn't that great that this is not just a story with a somewhat lengthy text, but if you think about it, this story is also a template for how Christ works in every situation. This really is not just a story, a historical account of these two men walking in sadness and despair, disappointment, walking, just kicking their feet and their heads down, I imagine, just feeling like all victory was lost, feeling like there was nothing to rejoice about. And then all of a sudden, Christ enters the picture and through His own workings, causes the story to take a dramatic change. If you think about it, every one of us who knows Jesus Christ, this is not just a story of two men walking on the road. This is also a story that, can be, that is fleshed out in the life of every born-again believer. Because you see, I want you to see the first thing this morning. I want you to see the despair of the two. Because what these two men were experiencing, I don't think is, is often that different from what we may experience. You see, these two men were considered to be disciples and followers of Jesus. These two men at some level had made a commitment to learn from Him as an apprentice. These two men, although not ever named with the twelve, uh, were always were, were followers and, and, and had put their hope and trust in Jesus Christ. And they believed that Jesus the Messiah was going to walk into Jerusalem at an appointed time and that he was going to kick out Rome, and he was going to set up his kingdom right there in Jerusalem. And we know that Jesus is going to do that, but not now. He's going to do it in the future. So these men had probably seen him crucified, had probably seen him breathe his last, and had probably even followed the body to the tomb, and as they saw it wrapped in the, in, in the robes, and, and in the cloth, and in the garment. And here these two men are walking away in this defeat 
in this despair, in this disappointment, that the one that they had placed their faith and trust in did not seem to come through for them. You see, there are times in our life, and maybe many of you can relate to this, maybe better than some. There may be moments in your life where you really put your faith and trust in Christ to to come and, and to act on your behalf in a particular way. And maybe as a believer... You spent many nights in prayer asking God for a very particular request. And maybe you sought God very diligently over certain issues in your life, and as you sought Him so diligently, the time came for that miracle to happen, and it never happened. And maybe you had looked for something and had prayed and had asked and had sought diligently the Lord, and you were just sure that God was going to work in the way that you had asked Him to work, and alas, the moment came and the moment passed. And it did not appear that Christ had shown up. You see, these men walked away feeling very disappointed because God did not work in the way that they had expected Him to. They didn't didn't see His plan. And you know, isn't that the truth with every one of us? Those moments that we pray, those moments that we're seeking God as a believer... Those moments that we're putting all of our faith and trust and hope in Christ and and the moment comes and then the moment passes and and there have been times in my life, I'll be honest with you, there have been times in my life that I've asked very specifically. I've trusted with every bit of, with every ounce of trust I had in me. I exercised every bit of faith I had until I felt like my faith was cramping. And it seemed like at those moments when I had prayed and sought and and I was just certain that God was going to do something, it didn't happen. And I'll be honest with you. It's only common. It's only natural for us to walk away and scratch our heads. It's only common in moments in our life where we walk away saying, God, I don't understand why you didn't do what I thought you were going to do. God, I don't understand why you didn't show up. God, I don't understand. There have been times in my life when I was disappointed with how God worked or didn't work. But let me tell you the great thing is that even though they didn't understand even though they walk away disappointed and in despair and feeling as though there was defeat, the good news is there really wasn't a defeat. You see, the great thing is this. Even though it is common for us to be disappointed in God, it's unnecessary. Even though it's common for us to be disappointed in God, ultimately it's unnecessary. You know why? Because even though Christ did not work in the way that they had anticipated, even though Christ did not work in the way that they had wanted, the way that they had expected, He still worked. In our lives, the Bible reminds us that He is faithful even when we are not. The Bible reminds me that His Word is sure, that His character is steadfast, that He is good, righteous, and holy, that He knows our needs, and in His way, and in His time, He is going to work on our behalf for His glory. Amen? And these disciples, these followers, they just don't get it. They're kicking rocks down the road on this eight-mile journey northwest of Jerusalem. They're just 
kind of having their heads down, their shoulders are lowered. It seems like all of the life has been stripped out of them. And one of them is speaking with the other saying, man, I just can't believe. I can't believe we put all of our hope and here we have egg on our face. Here we, we put all of our trust in Him and we followed Him and we believed that He was who He said He was and here we're, we're left with a dead leader. They didn't get it. Their life is probably similar to ours at times. Feeling maybe disappointed, discouraged, defeated. Even though we are, it is common for us to be disappointed with the way God works, it is unnecessary. You see what is also interesting about this couple, these couple of guys? They're in despair, but it's not just, it was not just unnecessary because they had the promises of God. They had heard Him teaching. Obviously, if they had followed much at all, they would have heard Him say He was going to Jerusalem to die and on the third day raise again. They had already had the promise. If you think about it, it was also unnecessary because they had the Scriptures. You see, Jesus started in the Old Testament, and, which was the only Bible they had, and was communicating to them and explaining to them everything in the Bible that pertained to Him. He was sharing to them the same Scriptures that they had already had and probably already had read or known. They didn't just have the promise of His character, His nature, the promises from His own mouth. They didn't just have the prophecies from the Word of God. But if you think about it, they also had the testimony of other witnesses. There were people around them who had said, man, those ladies went to the tomb and there was an angel that said He's risen from the grave. Now, wouldn't you think that that would be testimony enough? Some of the twelve had even gone down to the tomb, it says. And they came back saying, yeah, the, the body's gone. The women were right. Jesus is raised from the dead. You see, guys? We wonder. We wonder sometimes how the Bible can apply to our life. And let me tell you something. Just off of this picture of those people, those two men, do you know those two men represent a large group of people in our community? Those men represent a large community of people in our state, in our country. And I would argue that these two men represent a large group of people in the world. Walking with their heads down, feeling defeated, in despair and disappointment. And yet all around them, and yet all around them are people saying Jesus is alive. And yet all around them there are people who have the witness of the testimony of God's Word that say He's risen from the grave. If you think about it, every one of us is in that position that those two men were. They were walking in despair. They were feeling disappointed. They were discouraged. And yet all they had around them were people saying He's risen from the grave. People they trusted. They had everything they needed to believe, except faith. You see, guys, the problem was not with their head. The problem was with their heart. You know what Jesus does? Jesus addresses their heart. Missionary C.T. Studd said, all God wants is our heart. Any old turnip will do for a head. 
All God wants is our heart. And any old turnip will do for our head. First, there was the despair of the two. They had everything they needed to believe. The witness of testimonies of people who had been to the tomb. The story of an angel announcing them, a a messenger of God telling them that Jesus is raised from the grave. They did not have a body. They couldn't find the body. The tomb had been locked up. They had everything that they needed to believe except faith. Many of you, some of you today, may be walking through life disappointed in God. You may be walking through life despair. You may be walking through life in defeat, and if the truth be known down in the innermost part of who you are, you may not ever talk about it, but inside of you, your spirit is just walking with your head down. You're kicking rocks as you're going through life. You're saying, is this all there is? Is this all there is to to my Christian existence? Maybe some of you don't even know Christ. Maybe some of you have yet to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And if that's the case, I believe you are full of despair. Because without Christ, there is no hope. Let me say it one more time. Without Christ, there is no hope. Christ is the only one that brings meaning, satisfaction, true joy, and hope to our life. Because the angel of light in Jesus Christ, the Prince of Peace, suffered so that we might be able and came victorious over death so that we might have hope and victory. I want to show you, I told you that this is not just a story of two men walking on the road, but it's also a template for each one of us. That here we are on that road in despair, in defeat, in discouragement, kicking rocks, head down, shoulders lowered, all the life drained out of us, and then notice who comes. Jesus. Now, there's something that we could easily overlook. I would think that if I was Jesus and I just rose from the grave, you know probably one of the first things I would probably eat where I would go? Not Disneyland. If I was Jesus and I just raised victorious over the grave, I just came back to life after the third day, do you know where I would go? This is one of the reasons why I'm not Christ, okay? One of the many reasons. I would go right to the temple. I would show up right in the middle of the temple and I would look at Caiaphas and all of the others and say, look, behold, my nail-printed hands and my nail-printed feet. Do you not see that it's me? I would go right into the middle of the temple and show all of those who shouted, crucify Him, His blood be upon us. I would go to that group of religious leaders that said, this man lied. He said, he will tear down the temple and in three days build it. I would go back to the temple and say, how's it look, guys? That's exactly what I would do. But that's not what Jesus did. Jesus showed up to the women who came to the tomb. Jesus revealed Himself who? To these two men. Think about it. He could have reached the masses. He could have rubbed their proverbial nose in everything they had done to Him. But where do we find him? Walking behind two men that we don't even hear about anywhere else in Scripture. Two men who were in despair, who were disappointed, 
who were experiencing defeat. Please notice. It was Jesus who came to them. You and I walking down that road of despair, death, disappointment, defeat. You can look back on your timeline as a believer. And you can go to that spiritual marker. And you can say at the very core of your heart this morning, Jesus Christ, I thank You that in my life of despair, disappointment, disbelief, You came to me. The Bible tells us that none of us seek after God. The Bible says we are all like sheep, having gone astray. Every man to his own way. None of us initiated a relationship with Christ. Christ is the one who did and still does initiate the relationship with us. He finds us wandering and brings us to the fold. He finds us going our own way and brings us to Him. He finds us walking and oftentimes running to the very gates of hell and intercedes in our life, reveals Himself to us and brings us to the place of contentment, satisfaction, promise, victory, and eternal life. Jesus is always the one who initiates the relationship with us. He's always coming to us. He's always assisting us and aiding us in our weakness. He is always opening up the Scriptures. He is always communicating. He is always revealing Himself to us. And that's exactly what He did with these two men. Heads down, shoulders drop, kicking rocks. No victory. Do you notice in their story, in their own words, there is no direct reference of His deity. They claim He was a prophet. They believed He was the Messiah, but it seems like all of their view of Him had changed after He had died. It seems like every reference they have to their faith in Christ was in the past tense. And Jesus walked to them on that road. The second thing was the fellowship of Jesus. Two men walking in despair. And then the entrance of Jesus into the story. Notice when Jesus said, what things? He wasn't asking because He didn't know. He was asking because He wanted to reach them in the place of their greatest need. Do you remember when Adam and Eve had sinned? God told them when He created them that they could eat of any tree in the garden that they wanted, but there was one tree that they could not touch. From the day that they would eat that one tree, they would surely die. And Jesus told them, stay away from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And you know the story, Adam and Eve being yielded to the temptation of the tempter, Satan in the form of a serpent. They reach up, she reaches up, grabs the fruit, eats it, turns, gives some to her husband, he eats. They both had sinned, rebelled against God's one command, disobeyed Him. Sin had now entered into them. They were changed. They were now full of shame. They hear the voice of the Lord God. Walking in the garden in the cool of the day, they realize, Daddy's home, we've messed up. You ever been there before? You broke the vase and your parents pulled in just at the right time. That's an innate ability parents have to always show up at the right time. Daddy's home. He's talking to us. We better get out of his sight. Before they had perfect fellowship and now that sin had broken that fellowship. Adam and Eve go and run off into the trees and hide. And do you remember those words of God? Those awesome words of God. Not many. 
A few, but beautiful nonetheless. Adam and Eve run and hide in the trees, and God says these words, Adam, where are you? Do you think for a moment that God didn't know where Adam and Eve were? Ultimately, He is omniscient. He knows all things. He knows all things that are and all things that could be. There is nothing that God does not know. He is the Creator of knowledge and it doesn't get smarter than that. He knew where Adam and Eve were because God is the one that placed the tree that they were hiding behind. And if God knew where Adam and Eve were, then why did He say, Adam, where are you? I believe there were two reasons. One, he wanted, God wanted Adam to know, I want to see you. And the second, I think, is probably the most important. I think God was saying to Adam, Adam, I want you to know that I'm looking for you. Adam, you're valuable to me. Adam, you, you have so much worth to me, and I want you to know that I'm searching for you. Not as though he couldn't find him, but he wanted Adam to know I have value to my God even though I've sinned. And I believe that the same thing is true here with Jesus and Cleopas and, and his friend as they're walking down the street. Jesus, they're saying all oh, these things have happened and Jesus says what things? Not because he doesn't know, but because he's diving to the very heart of the issue. He's advancing the conversation. He's introducing, he's opening up a door to introduce the Scriptures and to reveal himself to us. The despair of the two. The second thing was the fellowship of Jesus. Notice there were four things that were opened in this story. The first was that Jesus opened the Scriptures to them and began to teach all things concerning Himself. Secondly, they opened their home. Let Jesus come in. The third thing was He opened their eyes. And the fourth thing, they opened their mouths. Jesus opened the Scriptures. They opened their home. Jesus opened their sight. And they began to open their mouths. Now think about this with me for a moment. As these two men are now inviting Jesus, it says in verse 28, that then they drew near to the village and they were going, and He indicated that He would have gone farther. He's, just, he's acting as though He's going to keep on going. He was obviously ready for an invitation. And they tell Him. They constrain Him. They're, they're pleading with Him to come into their house because the day has already passed. Obviously, it was the wisest move they ever made. The day you invited Jesus Christ into your life was also the wisest day of your life. And it says in verse 30, Now as He came to pass, He said at the table with them that He took bread, blessed and broke it, and gave it to them. Here, Jesus, again, the first thing He does is fellowship with them. You see, in this story, you know why those guys invited Jesus to come into their home? I would say that, I would like to say that they were hospitable. They would have done it for anybody, and maybe that's the case. Those people in that time were incredibly benevolent. 
Definitely very charitable. They, what was mine was yours, and I would want to share what I had with you. So maybe it was just out of the goodness of their heart, but it almost appears that Scripture is saying there's another reason for why they invited Jesus. In fact, from their own mouths, they say, did our hearts not burn within us while He opened up the Scriptures to us? Do you know what that hearts burn within us means? I believe when it's saying their hearts burned within them, what we're seeing is the infusion of the joy in their life. When it says their hearts burned within them, I believe that is a description to say that that is what was happening as Jesus was communicating the truth. As Jesus was opening the Scriptures and saying that the Christ must suffer and on the third day rise again, I would imagine that Jesus went through every picture and every parable and every story relating to Himself, reminding them, teaching them, reteaching them of His victory over death. And as they're hearing these things, they're hearing them maybe in a way they've never heard. And as they're listening to the truth, that despair and that defeat and that disaster is leaving their life and it's starting to be infused with joy do you know the best way to get despair out of your life it's to fill your life with joy to fill your life with truth and jesus is pouring into these men and as he's pouring into them their hearts are burning within them they hear this they're excited and no doubt they want to hear more let me ask you they say specifically on two occasions that His revelation came to them at the breaking of bread. The revelation came to them at the breaking of bread. It says it at the end and it says it here in the home testimony. What do you think it was about the breaking of bread that caused Jesus to be revealed and their eyes to be opened? We have three possibilities. One possibility is that that was the moment that Christ wanted them to be able to see Him. And maybe it was something supernatural, a scales falling off the eyes, if you will, that God in His power had changed their ability to perceive Him. Maybe that's the case, and it happened as He was breaking bread. Maybe the second possibility is that these two men had been as followers of Jesus. Maybe they had sat around a table with Him before. Maybe they had eaten bread with Him before and had seen Him take the bread and break it. Maybe they had seen Him. Maybe as He prayed, they heard in that prayer something they had heard before. Or maybe they recognized no man ever spoke like that before. Maybe it was in the actual breaking of the bread that they saw something in this stranger as they were revealed to the Savior. But I wonder. Look at verse 30. Now it came to pass as He sat at the table with them that He took bread blessed and broke it and gave it to them. In those days, it was customary to wear long sleeves on their robes, on their outer garments. And I can't help but think as a third possibility that as Jesus is there with those two men at the table and it says in verse 30, that he took bread, he grabbed it, he blessed it, meaning he prayed and he thanked God for it, and he broke it, 
And then it says he gave it to them. When he gives them the bread, what's going to happen? Obviously, they would see the nail prints. Whether it was God revealing to them in his own way, taking the scales from their eyes so that they could see him clearly at that moment, whether it was them actually realizing in the prayer or in the manner of breaking bread which they had possibly seen before, or quite possibly, or quite possibly, as he handed the bread to them, they saw on his palms the nail-scarred hands. Either way, either way, Jesus in his own way, in his perfect time, removed every bit of disappointment, removed at that moment every bit of despair, removed this culture, this mind, this attitude of death and defeat, and replaced it at that moment with victory and faith and joy. At that moment, they had given all of their despair and all of their defeat. They had given their shrunken shoulders and their kicked feet. They had given that all over to Jesus because He had given them joy and victory. And the great news is, Jesus is still doing that today. You can be walking down the road. And in a sense... You can be going down this spiritual timeline from point A to point B, and you can just be shuffling your feet, disappointed, in despair, in defeat, and then Christ can come to you through the truth of the Gospel, through the testimony of other people, through the power and the working of the Holy Spirit, and bring you to the place where He has revealed to you that everything that was spoken of Him in the Scriptures is true. And you can, like these men, choose to believe it. How do we know they chose to believe it? They ran out. They ran out and told everybody that the Lord has risen indeed. Do you know how big the resurrection is to us? Do you know, you know, as Christians, we're always associated with the cross. And maybe it's because it makes a better necklace than an empty tomb. I don't know. But we're always associated with the cross. And yes, thankfully, the cross that we're associated with is empty. That Jesus is no longer hanging on the cross for our sins. He did it 2,000 years ago and He's off the cross now. Let me tell you just how big the resurrection is to our faith. In Romans chapter 4, the Apostle Paul says that Jesus was raised for our justification. Jesus was raised for our justification. The Bible says later in Romans chapter 8 that He was raised by the Spirit of God and that same Spirit of God works in us who believe. So this is not just a story of what happened to Jesus. 
This is also a promise of the power that we have as believers. The the book of Corinthians, the Apostle Paul said, just as Jesus was raised, we also have that promise of the resurrection of the body from the grave. In fact, the Apostle Paul in writing to the Corinthians in chapter 15 says that if Jesus didn't rise, our preaching is empty. He says we wouldn't have anything to preach about if Jesus didn't raise victorious from the grave. He doesn't just say that. He, would, he says your hope is, fall, is hollow. We don't just have anything to preach about, but our hope is, fall, is hollow. He goes on to say that if Jesus Christ did not raise from the dead, we would still be in our sins. We wouldn't have salvation. You know why? When Jesus was raised, I want to end on this. When Jesus was raised, it is not just a message of victory. Remember last week? We were justified by the blood of Christ. He took our sins upon Himself. He became sin for us. He didn't carry them in a box. He was sin for us. All of our sins were laid upon Him. The Holy One of God became dark and sinful like, or sinful in, 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 in practice like us. Not that He ever sinned, but that He took my sins upon Himself. He was still holy the whole time. And when He went to the cross, He paid that penalty for your sins and my sins. And the great news of the resurrection of Jesus Christ is this. Is that when He came out of that tomb victorious, at the heart of our faith is this truth. That the sacrifice, the penalty, was accepted by God the Father. That's what lies at the heart of our faith. When he came out victorious, busting out of that tomb, alive again, it reminds us, it tells us, it preaches to us, it yells at us from heaven above that the sacrifice has been paid on the cross and it has been accepted by the Father. Meaning everything Jesus did, took. Today, we have the promise of the resurrection. That the best of heaven endured the worst of the world and became victorious over it. That the prince of light experienced darkness. That the author of all good things received all bad things and still overcame. It infuses our life, that truth infuses our life with joy, contentment, satisfaction, and eternal life. And I promise you, whatever you are walking down the road, whatever you are trying to fill your life with, whatever you are using to try to get by moment to moment, day to day, I promise you, it will never satisfy the way that Jesus Christ satisfies. You were made. I was made to have communion with Him. And that only happens through a saving faith relationship. With His Son, Jesus Christ. I believe that there are probably some who are here sitting down this morning and on these pews 
And this morning, I believe that there may be some who have on their heart disappointment. There may be some this morning that are walking in despair and defeat. And the good news is that just as Jesus came up behind these two men and revealed Himself to them, I believe Jesus Christ is doing the same thing. I believe when I'm talking to you about Him being your personal Savior, Him dying on the cross for your sins, I believe in a way that can only be described as Christ doing it, God is making that real in your heart. And maybe today, for the first time in your life, you're saying, hey, I need to take another look at this Jesus thing because what I'm experiencing now, what I'm hearing is resonating in here. Jesus died for you personally. And He walks down that road of despair, offering hope and peace. And the Bible says that if we recognize we are sinners, and if we recognize that His sacrifice on the cross paid the penalty for our sins 2,000 years ago, and that He is raised from the dead, we can come to Him in faith personally and say, Dear God, I realize that I have missed the mark of, salv- of holiness. I've sinned. And God, I realize today that Your Son Jesus Christ died for every sin I have committed, I am committing, and will commit. He took every one of them on Himself. And He died to pay my price. And He arose the third day to show me that that sacrifice was accepted. Our hope is not just in the cross but in the empty tomb. And you could today, from your heart to God's, can say, dear God, I received that free gift of salvation today. I don't have to pay for it. I don't have to work for it. I don't have to earn it. I can't. It's my job to receive it by faith today. I'm going to give you an opportunity this morning. As we sing, if Christ has just walked up to your road, and you have just invited Him into your life like those two invited Him into their home. This morning, if you say, my heart burned within me while I was hearing those Scriptures, while I was hearing that story, if today you say, I trusted Christ just now as my Lord and Savior, would you be willing to walk right down this aisle? Would you be willing to just come down here at this time of response? Today, maybe there are things in your life, maybe you're a believer, but you're still living a life of defeat. Maybe you're caught up in things and you're, you're involved in sin that, you, that is tying you down, is holding you in bondage. The good news of the, gray, of the victory is that He breaks the bonds of sin. Today, maybe you want to talk with someone. You want to pray with someone. Maybe today you've come to a rededication of your life because Christ has done that. Salvation, rededication, Maybe baptism. Maybe you're looking at Paul this morning and you're saying, you know what? I've never followed Jesus Christ in believer's baptism. That's the first step of obedience in the life of a believer. And you say, I I need to do that. And you want to come forward and declare that. Church membership. Maybe you just have some things in your life you want to pray and leave them here at the altar. Whatever that decision is this morning, I pray that each one of us may walk out of here with the joy of Jesus Christ the joy of the resurrection living within us and being manifested out that we may open our mouths and share with others. Father God, I thank You this morning that You come to us. You came to this earth. You stepped out of heaven. 
You willingly went to the cross. You willingly took our sin. God, even today, You have given us Your Word as a witness and testimony. Many of us have heard a testimony from someone else. And Father, today, maybe there are some that realize today that salvation is available for them. And I pray for those, Lord, that have just prayed to receive Christ this morning and ask for that free gift of salvation made possible through Your sacrifice. And I pray this morning, Lord, that at this time of response, You would receive glory and praise and honor. And that we would be quick to leave, exchanging our despair for a life of joy. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.